relax. Those beats mean you're now listening to the very real people in places that supply your high. This is Grown Local with Billy Wayne Davis and Mike McGowan. Where we left off was you came back to New Jersey um, uh, and you were, I think, car salesman you were trying to do or something I like that? I hated it. Yeah, I hated it. <laughs> yeah, I did, man. I hated it every day, you know? But um, How long did you do it? I was a car salesman for three hours one time. No, I did it for years, bro. I did cool. it for several years. Yeah, I'm a beast, too. I mean, I'll beat anybody on the floor. Like, ain't nobody going to touch me. Like, you drop me off in the middle of fucking Oregon, Oklahoma, Texas, at a dealership, I'll make money. Don't care. I can sell fucking... I'm the guy that sells ice to the guy that sells ice to the Eskimos. You know, so... I hook him up with that shit. I couldn't do it. Yeah, it's not an easy. It's not an easy job. It's not. You know what? Car sales actually makes you a lot. Uh, makes you very good at reading people. You know, so I mean, you're every every day you're dealing with somebody who's trying to be. They're literally trying to not tell the truth. You understand? Like, so I can tell all the signs of somebody. You know, if you giggle a little bit or something when I ask you a question, like I know you're fucking lying, like. You snicker or something like that, liar, you know, like <laughs> so I'm giggling all the time. Like I'm literally giggling. Well, I'm not like saying that it, when you're in a serious situation though. We yeah, okay. Tonight, like I was at a at a there was a, a county meeting. I was at a county meeting. I lit them up like a Christmas tree. It was beautiful. Because though they deserved it. The yeah. a dog died in Gloucester County in the possession of the canine officer who was a fire marshal. And he left the fucking dog in the car and it died of heat exhaustion, a canine, uh, you know, and listen, not that he didn't like call the prosecutor or call, didn't make the call. He called his friends. They got shovels. They dug up a hole in his backyard and they buried the dog in his backyard. This is a canine owned by the taxpayers and uh, literally put flowers around it with a fire hydrant on top of the grave, like, and thought that was okay. So I just went and lit him up like a Christmas tree and let him know it's not okay. And, and what, what I see often, and it happens everywhere in the country and probably the world, is that these political partisan groups that have power in these areas have these trolls that come out online that attack people viciously. And they say, we're for this, we're for this, we're for this. But they never show up to the meeting and speak in public because they're hiding behind some screen name. So that's what I said tonight. And I saw who they were. I saw them snickering and I pointed back. I said, you see these people snickering back there at a dead dog? I said, what kind of people are you? You know, you partisan hacks. <laughs> so, yeah. No, I love that energy. And that's literally what you brought to everything. Like, and that's why I'm even excited tonight to talk about what you've been doing in New Jersey as of recently, especially... Yeah. Even before, like, even with the MLK stuff, you know, like all of that, I think, got kicked into a whole nother high gear when you came back and we're just kind of living in New Jersey. Well, the MLK stuff didn't happen until I came back and lived in New Jersey. That's so, what I'm saying. So, so what happened was when I moved back to New Jersey, my wife took a trip to Thailand with my son and... I sent her for four weeks, go for four weeks. I'll get in this fucking truck, pack our stuff up, go back to New Jersey, get a place. And when you come back, you'll have your new house, you know? So it was like this thing, you know, I broke down coming across the country. I, I, I dr never drive across the Rockies. Okay. It's there's <laughs> at grand junction. It's called grand junction for a reason. Mm -hmm. You don't yeah. want to go over the Rockies. And I burned out the transmission in this box truck. And I remember I had to live in Des Moines, Iowa for like, five or six days and boy was that boring i mean like <laughs> and she's in thailand and bangkok at the beach and stuff and i'm sitting there like oh, i can't believe i did this i should have just should have just bought new stuff when i got back and then went to thailand you know but i got back and uh when i got back i was just i get bored easily and uh and i wanted to and I'm still gonna, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna run for office, but I wanted to make sure I win when I run for office. Like, I don't want to be that guy that runs and doesn't have a resume out there of public 
uh, participation of stuff that I can get done, right? So I said, I'm going to pick some projects when I got back that are going to thrust me into the spotlight. I want to be in the media, right? The only way you can do that is do something, make it good. Hey, media, is this good enough to write about, you know? So the first thing I found when I got back <clears throat> was I went to city council in Philadelphia and I wanted them to legalize pot, you know, like fucking come on now. It's 2014. Like I was just in California. It's great things that the sky isn't falling. OK, <laughs> let's let's make this happen. You know, so I go to the city council meeting and for the first time I've ever seen a city council meeting in Philadelphia where the Constitution was signed, by the way, First Amendment is 11 blocks from the building, not even. They don't have an open public comment section in Philadelphia, so you can only comment on agenda items that are on the last and final passage calendar. By that time, it's it's done. It's over. They've decided what they're going to do. You can't really, you know, the public can't really speak up about it. But at that one meeting, that's ridiculous. So I told them, you know, now that's not going to happen. I'm going to go speak about what I want to speak about. And they said, well, you've got to sign up here. <laughs> So I signed up about one of their agenda items and I went in and I spoke about that partially. And then I let them know, you know, um, that they can't do what they're doing. They need to let the people speak, you know, and uh, uh, I went back a couple of times and then they then they removed me from the building. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's get a count of how many buildings public. Uh, buildings you've been removed from in philadelphia now. <laughs> no i plead the fifth amendment on that um, and the fifth amendment is also uh you know it's a constitutional right that is also 11 blocks from the building or so <laughs> so <laughs> so um so what happened is though during this i sued them in federal court i took them to federal court and sued them and um um uh, but but I was supposed to get help from the ACLU and these fucking chicken shits backed out like so and don't ever think they're going to help you. OK, they 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 take cases that that make political fucking fervor for their friends. So um, and so. But during this right during when I'm you know, going after the city and stuff, I'm just reading online and I find a story about Martin Luther King having his. Uh, or being chased out of a bar in Maple Shade, New Jersey. And I'm like, I am literally uh, five miles from there right now. I grew up five miles from there. And I'm like, wait, Martin Luther King was in Maple Shade, New Jersey and was chased out of a bar? No way. I'm thinking in my head, you know? And if, and if, it, if, it, if it is like, well, this is something very significant, right? And I said to myself, well, that whole thing fighting against the free speech thing, I'm going to lose anyway because the judges are all fixed over there. So that's fine. But let me let me see what's going on with this thing, you know. So I. Um, I started doing research and I figured out it was true. It was in a couple different history books, you know, of, of biographies, but very short, yeah. like like a half I'm- paragraph. I grew up in Maple Shade and it was something that the kids all talked about. Like even when like, you know, Maple Shade is a very, very small town or borough or whatever you call it, um, established very early on in New Jersey's history. But it was like but, your secret, right? Yeah. You guys no, didn't like, talk about that shit outside the town. It's very bad. I it makes yeah. us look real bad. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, so so and what happened, just so you know, the way I st- started actually looking into it. And looking into Maple Shade was there was a, in 2014, there was that whole Ebola thing, like the people were freaking out over Ebola. And um, in Maple Shade, a school nurse took it upon herself to, uh, there was two students that are exchange students from Rwanda. And she decided she was going to remove these children from class and take their temperatures three times a day, like as they're fucking existence isn't already hard enough in maple shade as black kids you know in a town that definitely has some issues with racism so so that that kind of tripped me i'm like whoa like what just happened it sparked an international incident by the way rwanda started testing all americans coming across the rwanda border (laughs) because of maple shade doing for them yeah yeah, it was like, you know, like and, and the crazy part about that is it's, we're talking about a very small town 
with 12,000 or so people, right? That what happened there caused an international incident. Like, think about that, you know? So I said, let me see what, what the culture is of the town to allow that because people were supportive of the idea too. I'm like, whoa, if that happened um, in my town, for instance, not a chance, like no way, like they, they, they would, the, the person would lose their job and this person was being supported. So when I start looking into culture of Maple Shade, I'm like blown away. There's KKK rallies that were held in the town. There was literally cross burnings in the town. Uh, you ever hear of the Southern Cross Apartments, Mikey? Mm-mm. So they're in Maple Shade. So they're actually sitting on the same land that in, I think it was like 34 or 35, there was a, uh, a Klan rally in Maple Shade that ended at the only Black family's house where they burned a cross on their lawn. That happened in Maple Shade, New so, Jersey, guys. That Maple was Shade, not New Jersey. The South. That's so now, the now South. here, so, wanna... so 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 what's so interesting about that? You say so. There's a so so basically, I get into this whole thing where I'm I'm trying to um, have Maple Shade recognize this incident that happened in Maple Shade. And what happened was uh, June twelfth of it was actually June eleventh of nineteen fifty. Martin Luther King uh, and uh, his good friend Walter McCall, along with their two dates. Uh, went to a bar in Maple Shade, a place called Mary's Cafe. And when they went there, they knew they were not going to be served. They went there intentionally because New Jersey had a civil rights law on the books that protected them. And they wanted to test this law. The, the law was literally just enacted six months prior to them trying this. So they were one, some of the first people to ever test New Jersey's civil rights law. So that in itself is significant, right? So if it wasn't Martin Luther King, just these four black people walking in this bar, knowing you're not going to be served and trying to test the law, that would be significant, right? So, but it's Martin Luther King, all right? Martin Luther King walks in there, they sit down, um, the waitress refuses to come over to him, she's serving everybody else. Uh, Walter's friend, Walter, walks up to the bar and says, he either says he wants, you know, uh, four four glasses uh, and, and a quart of beer, or he says he wants four four beers, you know? So everybody's have a beer at the table and the bartender says no beer. And uh, he says, well, uh, why would that be? Basically, the bartender says uh, it's after 11. I ain't selling packaged goods after 11, you know, and the guy says, well, or after 10, it was. And the guy, uh, Walter, says, uh, well, OK, he goes and sits down. And Martin Luther King says to the guy, are you sure you're not serving us because we're black? And the guy basically tells him, I want you out of here. So McCall walks back up to the bar and says, no, how about you give him these four ginger rails then? And the guy loses his shit. He says, out, I want you out. They won't leave. They perform what is the, one of the first sit-ins in the country. Martin Luther King, his friend, and the two dates decide they're not going to leave. They're going to sit in and they're going to demand to be served. Well, the guy, his name's Ernie Nichols, was in a World War I German vet who fought against Russia. We're talking about a pretty hardcore dude. His name is Ernie Nichols. Ernie Nichols goes right back to his apartment, grabs a 45 and comes back out and shoves it in their face and says, I want you out of here. And they still refuse to leave. He then shoots the gun in the air and turns around and says, I've killed for less. At that (laughs) point, they're out. They're gone. They're not hanging out no more. And uh, they go to the police station. The police refuse to press charges. King calls to Camden to a civil rights leader named Ulysses Wiggins, who was the head of the NAACP at the time. And Ulysses Wiggins gets out of his bed at midnight, comes down to Maple Shade, New Jersey, and makes sure that this bartender is charged with a crime. He's arrested on weapons charges. And not only weapons charges, he's arrested on a discrimination of not serving black people. One of the first times in the history of New Jersey. Um, that case goes to uh, the next day. They postpone it until Thursday. Now, this will tell you. And the reason why I'm saying the significant thing about this incident is because New Jersey, the officials in New Jersey have said that that the, what I'm explaining to you is not historically significant. <laughs> Martin Luther King on Tuesday after the court hearing on Monday called his mother and asked his mother to postpone his brother's wedding for two days 
So he could be at court on thir- in, on Thursday in Maple Shade, New Jersey. Now, would you ever call your mom or anybody you know and ask them to postpone the wedding? I mean, how important would that have to be to you? Very important. Very important. And guess what? They postponed the wedding because it was that important. Whoa. That be there. Okay. So what happens is the guy winds up getting convicted for the weapons charge. Uh, the, the grand jury wants to hear the civil rights thing. Uh, it basically fizzles out. There were some issues going on. Um, but I filed to have what happened is before the when I when I when I approached Maple Shade for them to have something placed there, they said I'd have to provide them with a primary source document that is from the actual incident that proves that number one, it happened to Martin Luther King, and number two, it happened to Maple Shade. Now we're talking about the primary source is something from the incident. Yeah. Right? Some from the actual incident, right? So <laughs> That was in December. They, they laid that challenge to December of 2014. No joke. January 15th of 2015. That's his birthday, King's birthday. I'm searching through an archive and I find the police complaint with Martin Luther King's signature on it. Bang. Whoa. Maple shade, the charges, everything there. Walter McCall, his friend, everybody, you know, it's all, all in there. So I know I have enough to for maple shade to create this memorial right um but on there also is his address which was a home in camden that nobody knew martin luther king lived at it was like a secret you know so um so this is on january 15th january 18th is his birthday or is, is king's holiday 15th is birthday they always have his holiday on like the third monday for some reason so he, um, I had a ceremony at the actual place in Maple Shade, a little ceremony. People got out there. One of the people from the NAACP came from the Camden NAACP. And I told him about, hey, I found the owner of the home because it was an abandoned home now. It was like in Camden, all boarded up. Like, you know, it actually had a demolition sign on it, by the way. It was about to be demolished. And, um, I said to the Camden NAACP president, his name's Kelly Francis. God rest his soul, he just passed. He was awesome. I said, you know, the person's name's Jeanette Hunt, you know, Lily Hunt says. And uh, he said, well, she is a lifetime member of the NAACP. I know Mrs. Hunt very well. And I said, well, really? I said, well, uh, would you mind uh, introducing me to Mrs. Hunt? And he said, let's drive over there after we're done here. So we get in the car, we head over, <clears throat> we knock on the door. An 83-year-old woman lets us in the house. There's plastic on all the furniture, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like out of a movie, you know, like yeah, yeah. chandelier with all the little crystals, you know. And it's a dangerous neighborhood in Camden. She's lived here her whole life. And um, so we get in, and Kelly uh, says, you know, Mrs. Hunt, this this young man has a question for you. And she said, Well, I'm really busy right now. And uh, she says, I'm working on my doctorate in pastoral counseling. She's 83 and she's working on her doctorate and on the computer, typing her, 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 her thesis, her doctoral thesis. And I said to her really clearly, I said, ma'am, I just have one question for you. I said, did you know Martin Luther King? And she said, well, he used to live at my house. <laughs> I said, wait, 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 is this something you've been keeping to yourself? Like, just you don't want to tell nobody? I mean, I mean, that's cool. pretty important. Like, and uh, we got we had a wonderful conversation. And um, from there, I started research and uh, I have uncovered a new narrative. I mean, I could read what the, the one of the most world renowned historians of Martin Luther King wrote about my work. I'll just do it real quick. Can you still see me, right? Oh, yeah. So his name's Louis V. Baldwin. Louis Baldwin is a professor now at, um, at um, what do you call it? Vanderbilt University. And he's written 14 books on Martin Luther King. And so what he did was I asked him three questions because the DEP of New Jersey said that the house... In, in, that he he actually planned the civil rights activity in Maple Shade from the house. He had conversations at the house 
with one of the people living there. And they said, what are you doing? He said, we're about to go down to Maple Shade. And the guy's name is Jethro Hunt is like, no, you're not. Are you crazy? Like they don't serve black people. And King said on the steps of this house in Camden, this is Jethro Hunt saying King said these words that he said, oh, that's OK. You think we shouldn't be going down there, but maybe we need to go down there so we can start to go anywhere we want. That house is a house I've been trying to save to put on the historic list. And uh, the New Jersey DEP, the DEP of New Jersey has stated that that, that house is not historically significant. They also stated <laughs> that the incident in Maple Shade is not historically significant. And the only reason they do it is because I'm a political enemy and I'm not I don't I don't suck the the cock of the king. And everybody in this area has a uh, uh, this this there's a, a power structure here that's literally run by one man. And I refuse to kiss his feet. They asked me to run for an office. I said, fuck you. I said, I don't believe in anything you believe in. I said, you guys can be have fun and use the house and whatever. <clears throat> well, at that point, they decided the house wasn't going to happen. And they, they put a kibosh on the house. I have pictures of me and John Lewis. You know, um, uh, let me see if I can find it here. Choose. I, I, I've learned tonight how to choose a virtual background, which is incredible. Um, <laughs> but but no, seriously. But but what but what what happened is. So they, they basically, before I tell them to fuck themselves, they, they realize they got a really big project, you know, that this could be a good thing for their political party. So they have a ceremony in the middle of Camden. No joke. This is no joke. They shut down the entire street. They clean the street. Okay. They not only clean the street, but they, uh, uh, what do you call it? Let me see here. Here he is. This is John Lewis in Camden in front of the house right there. You see the house behind me? Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm sitting right over on the side there. Me and him got a couple pictures together, but this just shows you that he was there at the house, right? So after the ceremony, this group comes out and says, hey, we're going to help. We're going to help with this project, you know? Um, but then they backed out, like backed out and said they, they can't, couldn't help anymore. We could, without the state designation, we can't help. But I'm like, well, the state is, they're, they're a bunch of bullshit artists. So and you agreed to help without that. Well, turns out they went ahead and got a quarter million dollars in grants without telling me or the property owner to fix the home and never touch the home. Right. So I find out about that and I light them up man. I go right to the media and I go to, I sue them in court. And uh, I wanted to find out what the hell's going on. Why'd you take this money? You know, and um, it's been crazy. Let's just say it's been a crazy ride. Um, but here's what Lewis Baldwin and what happened is in February, you know, in Jan January 31st of 2020, right before the pandemic, they sent me a letter finally denying the house, the, the, the designation of the house. And in that letter, they used Lewis Baldwin from an email. They used this guy, Lewis Baldwin, and said he basically disagrees with your opinion that this house is significant. But the email was very vague. So I reach out to Lewis Baldwin. I said, fuck you. I'm going to reach out to Lewis Baldwin. <laughs> and going share to the, the, I'm going to go to the, the source's mouth. Yeah. Right. All right. So here's what he says. Uh, I asked some questions. I said, basically, is the is the home you know significant? I wholeheartedly disagree with the NJDEP's decision uh, to, that the incident in Maple Shade that took place is of minimal historic import. How can anyone honestly make such a claim involving such a towering historic figure whom we happen to honor annually with a national holiday? The King Monument in Washington, D.C. stands alongside those of the most celebrated U.S. presidents, and the King birthday is recognized or celebrated in some 100 countries. I agree that your point, which I is me, New Jersey has failed to protect the rights of King in 1950, but the state can make proper amends by honoring and we're protecting King's legacy today. This is beautiful, right? If the DEP's decision continues to exist and act as if the discrimination King faced in the state in 1950 is of minimal historic import, then it would be standing in the tradition of those Mississippians who still do all in their power to, uh, to either deface or destroy monuments to the memory of King, Medgar Evers, Emmett Lewis Till, and many other black martyrs. Let me also say much of the significance of the Maple Shade incident lies in the fact that it was King's very first sit-in or act of protest against racial discrimination. Now, this guy, remember, they used his 
his words to say, hey, uh, this guy's saying you ain't shit, Mr. Duff. Well, this guy's now saying I'm some shit. What I found is is certainly very valuable. He actually in another email says, Mr. Duff, you've created a new chapter in the 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 study of Martin Luther King. I found so much that you wouldn't believe. I mean, I've literally identified the date, place and time of the most important speech of Dr. Martin Luther King, which was when he learned uh, or, or was convinced of the non the the the, the methods of nonviolence which happened in Philadelphia for 60 years, the historians have got the place wrong and they never knew the date or time of the speech in Philadelphia. Never. So who is blocking you and why? The New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection's Historic Preservation Office. They're the ones not approving the project, but it's really the local politician, uh, Donald Norcross and his office and all the other local politicians in Camden because they're all controlled by this machine. And I embarrassed the machine. They don't like that. That's what I was doing tonight. <laughs> I was I was at a county meeting in Gloucester County destroying this machine. Um, so what happened is and uh, let me get past this, because I think I think this is kind of a I don't want to go too much on that subject. But I mean, it, it's very well in the media everywhere. If you type Patrick Duff, Martin Luther King, 100 articles will come up. I mean, like literally. Mm-hmm. So videos, all kinds of stuff. But with that with them screwing me on that right so last year august uh, no january june july i'm sorry july 28th i went in for a colonoscopy and i had uh stomach issues for years they said i had diverticulitis and um so i go in for this colonoscopy thing we're going to find out the treatment plan for my diverticulitis and i wake up and the uh doctor looked like she got fucking hit by a truck you know like it was like and i even said to her doctor it looks so bad up there i'm trying to make a joke you know and she said mr duff i am so sorry but you have cancer yeah yeah that's a big one right and i said well how do you know you didn't even take a biopsy and she said well we did take a biopsy which not back from the lab yet but it's massive she said it's one of the biggest tumors i've ever seen oh Oh, really? <laughs> so literally, I'm not kidding. Like, <laughs> at that moment, my mom and dad are out in the car. You couldn't have anybody with you. I'm alone. I mean, the one of the moments, one of the worst moments of my life. I mean, I felt I felt like the whole world. I felt like somebody hit a pause button on just me. Yeah, just me. And the whole world was going to fucking continue without me. I was done. Like, I felt like I was done. Death sentence, you know? Like, I knew I was sick. I knew I, I knew I felt like I was dying. But now that I knew I had cancer, I knew why. And, um... I mean, that's seven- an earth-shattering thing. Like, that's a big thing to happen for a doctor to sit you there and say, hey, you have one of the biggest tumors I've ever seen in my life. Like, I mean... That's yeah. no joke. And that will shake the foundation. And, 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 and you want to hear something crazy? Like, you don't realize how big tumors are, or what are anything like that. So I read the, uh, you know, the metric system is different and, and, and the medical system goes on the metric system. So I didn't really like, like, I looked at the thing and I'm thinking maybe it's like the size of like a, I don't know, like a peanut, a little bigger than a peanut. I don't know. You know, it's in my colon. How, how big can a tumor be in my colon? And me and my wife are sitting there and we're at the, we're watching TV. And um, I just said to her, like, you know, like, she, I was like, well, maybe they can go in, like, let's call the laparoscope. And they just go in. It won't be a big scar, maybe, you know. She's like, well, how big do you think it is? I said, well, it's like a peanut, you know, like something like that, maybe. And she takes the remote control from the TV, you know, like a little bit bigger than this. And she just takes it and sets it on my stomach. And she said, no, it's, it's that big. I went, holy shit. So if you want to see it, by the way, I was in Newsweek magazine, type Patrick Duff and cancer into Google and you will see the tumor. I put it on. I put a picture of the tumor on Reddit and it got 10 million views in 24 hours. And I got contacted by NPR and Newsweek and they did articles on my tumor and my and my fight with the tumor. So 
So what happened is I five days, seven days later, I learned I have cancer. Seven days I'm in a surgery is 10 and a half hour surgery. And they cut, I have a 17 inch scar from the top of my, my pelvis, you know, I, where my ear dick starts up to the, above my belly button in the middle of my chest. I'm, it was huge. You know, it's a bit mad. If, if, if it was a C-section, it would be a big baby. And um, <laughs> so basically um, I couldn't move, you know, for days, you know, I'm, I'm in this bed. I couldn't move for days and I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I've never been still in my life. Like, even when I sleep, I'm not still. I move around. Like, I couldn't move. So it was the first time I actually had to sit there. And I'm in Camden. And I'm looking out over Camden. And I'm thinking, these motherfuckers, like, like, they fucked me. Like, if I die, like, they fuck my legacy. Like, they're trying to fuck my legacy. You know? And I might die. Like could die in a couple of days. Like who knows, like how bad this cancer spread, whatever, you know? So as I'm sitting there and I'm thinking how bad they try to fuck me, I have a, I have the type of brain that works in it. It, it goes in the order of, okay, what did they do to me? And then, okay, how can they, I fuck them. And, and my fucking is usually I have a, you know, I, I'm very good at it. And, and when I come after someone, it's going to be, it's going to be truthful, honest, and it's going to be hardcore. And if you are somebody that deserves it, I'm going to give it to you. So I made a plan as I'm lying there in the bed that what I'm going to do is I'm going to attack the political machine. I'm going to come out, I'm going to use all my research skills, all my lobbying, all my skills of, of, of computers, and I'm going to literally attack local politicians that are dirty and corrupt to try to shake the tree hard enough so the machine comes after me. And the reason why is because I know their weakness and their weakness is their, their pieces of shit. And- <laughs> So if, if you stand them up and you use truth and honesty, they're going to, they have to come at you some way. You understand? Like, and usually they use online bullies. They use these people on Facebook and it's usually fake accounts. And if I can get three of them or four of them and one person is making it look like somebody's all these people are coming at you. Well, I've realized that a long time ago, I knew, I knew what would happen when I tried this. I did this on purpose. So I then could annihilate the trolls too, in each one of these municipalities I go to, I could literally find them, identify them and ruin their life if they wanted to fuck with me and they wanted to protect these dirty politicians. So my plan was shake the tree hard enough, see what comes out. So about two months after my surgery, I see a a post online from my hometown, Delray, New Jersey, about this party for a soccer player named Carly Lloyd. And she was like an international star, Olympian, all this stuff. And they had a retirement party for her. And it was called the biggest retirement party ever. It's in the middle of COVID, by the way. And I'm like, well, nobody's even fucking doing anything. They're having this crazy retirement party. It was kind of weird. It was just weird to me. And they had fireworks. And I just wanted to know how much did the party cost? So in New Jersey, they have something called an Oprah request. It's a Freedom of Information Act request. And I made an open request to get the cost of this party. And they hit me back and it was a two hour party. And they hit me back with the cost of $37,000 for this party. I'm like, whoa. So I make it do an article. I have my own blog on the uh, New Jersey rabble rouser.com. And um, I um, print this article. It's very basic. Here's how much it costs. Here's what they spent it on, blah, blah, blah. And it causes a fucking stir online, a crazy stir. <laughs> I knew it would, you know, because yeah, yeah. that's kind of I'm throwing I'm, I'm throwing it out there to see what happens. And man, people just came out of the woodwork after me just from that. No joke. The mayor of Del Ran made a post. Going after me saying I made claims that bribery and coercion took place, which I never claimed ever. <laughs> so automatically I knew they're coming at me lies. <laughs> Right. I knew that I knew that they were coming at me with lies and I knew that they were a wounded animal at this point. So I just continued to, to dig stuff up in the town. I found out that 
they had a family that they had harassed in the town and the family got a $300,000 settlement that the township did not go through the insurance company for. And that's illegal. You can't do that shit. Um, so I figured out that I put that out there. I, the town is going up in arms. I mean, people are like coming out of the, it was just crazy. And in the mayor of the town on January 4th, put out a, a statement calling for his own investigation saying that he's going to contact the state to investigate his own actions because there's somebody out there putting out misrepresentations. I wasn't putting <laughs> any misrepresentations. So on January 5th, a blog is created about me, all about me. And the blog says that I faked having my cancer so I can rip patients off uh, with snake oil, CBD snake oil, basically. I stole money from Memorial Maple Shade. It was a blog committed to defaming and dehumanizing me, making me into the biggest piece of shit they could. So when that came out, I had noticed that on the blog, there was something that led back to somebody that I knew of. And so I started in. And uh, just last week or a couple of weeks ago, I was able to, I filed a lawsuit two months ago against them and named the blogger as a John Doe. And uh, just last, about two weeks ago, I figured out who the blogger was. And they work for the township of Delran. <laughs> <laughs> They're the communications director for the township. This Whoa, person, huh? That's like a job they have is to yeah. communicate things. You, you want to talk about fucked? That town is fucked. They're going to owe me massive amounts of money. I mean, I'm going to get a house on these motherfuckers, you know, like <laughs> you can't do that shit. So. So, yeah, so I made that plan to kind of go after him. And I then I did the town of Medford. They had a whole bunch of corruption in Medford and they were fucking with this family called the Carnes family. And um, so that's what I've been doing. I've been kind of going after local corruption and then moving up a bit to to countywide corruption now. Uh because that's how my plan was, because I wanted to get a voice in these towns and people say, we love this fucking guy, you understand? And he can get shit done. So when I run for office, it's a no brainer. They're going to elect me, you know? So that's the plan, Stan. Um, hey, I find that absolutely amazing. Um, I think that's the coolest. You've done stuff like this in the past. I remember there was a, uh, viral thing that happened when uh, these two black guys were hanging out at Starbucks in Philadelphia waiting yeah. for a guy to show up for a business meeting and the Starbucks employee called the cops on the two gentlemen and yes. then I remember you actually went through all the police calls in Philadelphia and found out how often that happens to people I got, of color I got Philadelphia to change their 911 system they changed the nine system. Uh, I was, uh, what happened was um, when, when that call, that call that came in, the black guys are just there hanging out. They're waiting for their friend. And if you listen to the call, it goes like this. Um, can I help you? First of all, can I help you? It's 911. That right there was a red flag to me. 911, what's your emergency? I've called it a lot. Can I help you? That's a helpline. So I had a problem with that automatically. Second was the way that the girl sounded. Uh, I don't remember her name right now. We'll just call her Karen. Um, she said, <laughs> she said um, yeah, there are two men in my store that refuse to buy something or leave. She, and the, the, the woman says, okay, we're sending a unit. I'm like, wait, she didn't state a problem. There was no, she's like, there's a fight in my, I owned a business in Philadelphia. I have called, I swear to God, because two men were in the street beating the shit out of each other. And the 911 operator said to me, do they have a knife or a gun? And I said, well, no. She said, we're not sending a unit. Okay. So if the, this girl can call and have an officer come that quickly, my theory was that wasn't the only time. That, that was very common, right? So I did freedom of information requests to the police station in Philadelphia to get all 911 calls for a three-year period for that Starbucks, 
for 10 Starbucks around it and for like four coffee shops around it too that were like Starbucks, you know? Yeah. Same shit, same neighborhoods, right? Well, if I get if I think the numbers are right here, it was well over um it was a hundred plus calls to 911 from that one location in an 18-month period. It was a hundred and forty or something in that area. Ooh. And they weren't they weren't the worst Starbucks. They weren't the worst. The other coffee shops in the same time period had a total of somewhere six to eight calls. Three or four were for tripped alarms. They weren't calling the police. So what I figured out was that Starbucks was basically being used as private security or the Philadelphia police was being used as private security for Starbucks. Now, listen to this. This is the crazy part about Hmm. this. Now, this is a big fucking story. This should have been everywhere. It should have been national news, what I found. Inquirer says they're running with it. They, they, the editor was so excited when I bring them this stuff, you know? Like Biggest crazy. Biggest newspaper in Philadelphia. Biggest newspaper in Philadelphia, correct. So he says, Pat, you know, this is amazing, blah, blah, blah. I'm putting my best guy on it, right? A couple of days goes by, I don't see nothing. I realize they're killing the story. I'm like, whoa. So Starbucks must have got a hold of them and said, listen, we can't have this out here. We're already we're already on our last leg. Like we're getting beat up here and they got them to kill the story somehow. So they didn't put that story out in national media. The only, it made it to the front page of the Philadelphia Tribune, which is a black newspaper in Philadelphia. It made it to a couple different websites, um, but it did make it, make it on the route. What is it? The route or something like that. I forget the one of the, one of the a black website that's pretty popular. And, um, and then I got invited on, KYW newsmakers to be on the newsmakers with a, a police detective from Philadelphia, you know? And so here I am with my stuff. Here he is. And he couldn't answer it. He, he had, he was stumped. And after the show, you know, I said to him, I'm like, you know, take no offense, but I think, I think like if people really realize this, I mean, there's people getting murdered all over the fucking city. You know, and you guys are shooting a Starbucks in less than three to five minutes. Like, that's a problem, you know? And he said, Mr. Duff, I completely agree. I'm like, well, and then okay. a couple, di- couple days later, they changed the policy and, uh, and made it so there would be uh, only emergency 911 calls that would be going out. And Starbucks couldn't have this, this basic right anymore. It didn't publicize it, trust me, but they did it. So... Yeah, it's been crazy. And, and let me tell you, man, the last do you three think, days. Do you think that the deal was, hey, you get free coffee or whatever you want? No, I think it was massive payoff. I think it was like, I'm going to buy $10 million in advertising or whatever it may be. You know what I mean? Like, I'll uh, buy, because you know, remember, these newspapers are owned by conglomerates. So they own several. So they probably said, listen, we'll, you know, advertise for six months long and guarantee you this much. I mean, it's not not illegal no i mean between <laughs> no of course i but i mean between the cops and like starbucks 100 yeah 100 yeah there was something going on there because that was a special line that she called that's what we figured out you know she wasn't calling 911. she had a number that she was calling that specifically was so these police could come clear people out of starbucks and that's what the cop admitted on the show when we were going back and forth you know i'm like well Anytime the Philly Police Department comes up, it's never great. No, no. And let me tell you though. Well, let's talk. We're talking about police. So, I think I told you. I I told you my friend Les Crane was murdered right in two thousand five. I told you that on another. We talked about it on the last episode. So I'm going to put him up real quick. That's Les right there. Les was one of the baddest fucking dudes you'd ever meet in the sense of balls, like a big giant set of balls, wasn't scared of the government, nobody, wasn't scared of nobody. And um, on uh, November 18th of 2005, he was murdered in his house in Mendocino County and uh, Laytonville, right on the 101, right off the 101, actually. And um, the night he was murdered, I was in Los Angeles. I got a call like, 3.30 or something like that let me he was murdered and uh and it's just never it's never it never left to me you know your friend gets murdered the cops <clears throat> didn't 
do a good job investigating. They never even asked me a question. I was the guy's business partner that was in town a couple of days prior. You know, like you'd ask me a question if you guy got killed, like and five people came in the house and, and killed him. And uh, two of the people lived. One of the people I never thought I'd talk to because I thought the kid hated me, actually, you know. And what happened is after he gets killed, um, there was two people in the house that that got that were there with him. He gets shot. The one guy gets beat up a little bit. The other girl gets beat up. She says she's the girlfriend of my friend that got killed. And I never trusted her. I always thought something was wrong. She was a tweaker. And um, so 17 years. So why, is that, that's probably not a good reason to trust. Honestly. I don't trust tweakers. No, yeah, you meth- can't. Yeah. No offense, but they yeah. Just, so yeah. So it's 17 years later. The cops never properly investigated his death. And there is a situation going on in Mendocino County right now where there is Rico charges, the cops going up on Rico charges, a guy named Tatum, another guy named Huffnaker. Or they were from uh Ronert Park. They had they had robbed this. They just thought he was a regular guy by the roadside, you know, uh, took three pounds from him, told him to go on his way. Well, the guy they robbed was actually an ex undercover cop from Texas. And he was out in California trying to do business, you know, trying to trying to, you know, he bought it from a legal place, bring it to a legal place. It, was, you know, it might be a gray area having it in the car, but it's surely more of a gray area just to steal the shit. So. <laughs> So he, after he gets robbed, calls the police and says, hey, I was robbed and they refuse to do anything. So he calls the feds. They refuse to do anything because it's pot. And he goes to this reporter up in Mendocino County, a woman named Kim Kemp. She has a website called Redheaded Black Belt and um, tells her the story, you know, and the guys claim to be ATF agents, by the way. The guys who robbed Zeke claim to be ATF agents. They didn't have any badges on, no name tags. So he thought something was wrong automatically, right? So uh, Kim, the reporter, reaches out to the ATF and says to the ATF, hey, we got this, um, you know, uh, we have a person that's an ex-cop that's, you know, really stand-up guy, movie producer now, and he's claiming that these cops claim to be atf agents and then robbed them and the guy the atf guy says they claim to be atf agents she says yes they did can i have the uh mr mr uh, flatten's number please gives a number they cr- launch a federal investigation and they arrest the police officers one of the police officers was in court today federal federal authorities this is the first time there's ever been a crack in the mendocino county sheriff's and that area of police departments who were responsible for the alleged investigation of my friend's death, right? They never investigated. They never did. They never properly investigated. But so I saw the chink in the armor, man. Fucking attack. I'm going to fucking attack right now. So I said to myself, I'm going to fucking find out what happened. I want to find out what happened to my friend. I want to get the feds to launch an investigation into his murder. You know, I mean, never was properly investigated. So the cops fucking did it. It was all I always thought that, you know. So the one guy who was a witness, <clears throat> I never thought he'd talk. So I tried to look up the ex-girlfriend. And I always thought she was shady. So in 2013, Jennifer Drury in Livonia, Michigan, who was Les's ex-girlfriend, killed herself. She hung herself in a closet. And in the police report said that for seven years since the murder, she's been haunted by voices telling her to commit suicide. She actually was checked into a mental hospital for three years. So I said, fuck it, I'm reaching out to the other kid, the kid that I thought hated me, you know? And there was a weird post. I didn't know if the kid actually left it, but it said like, it said under a YouTube video that I made that Patrick Duff is the greatest uh, man I've ever met. And I don't think I'm the only one that's ever going to say it. And it was just his name, this kid, Sean Durham. I'm like, well, that's fucking odd. You know, like, so I said, well, let me just find him. So I find him on Facebook, send him a friend request. No joke. Less than a minute. Boop. Responded. So I got to finally fucking hear what happened to my friend that night. I got to hear every gory detail. 
I got to hear how the cops didn't do shit, how the cops were trying to fucking put it on him, how the only reason he left the state is because the cops were not listening to him and what he was saying. And they were trying to put this fucking crime on him, you know, and he's this is his, his like his father. Like he thought of this guy like his dad, you know, like he really did. And I'm like, well, I thought you fucking hated me. He's like, no, I didn't hate you. He's like, but, you know, he handed you the keys to the castle. You were like the king. You came in and all of a sudden you could do whatever you wanted. And I just thought that was, you know, odd. Like me and Les became partners and I helped them open a place. And this kid, I thought he didn't like me, but it's not that true. He was 19 at the time. He's just a kid. And um, so we had a long, 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 long conversation. And uh, from his from his testimony and from some investigations I did, I uh, got a hold of Kim Kemp, the journalist. And I said, I need you to help me with this. And she is now putting together an article that's going to come out next week that's going to probably most likely reopen the investigation into Les's murder. The guy Zeke Flatten and I have now become good friends. We talked for the last three days for about six hours. And um, come to find out, he knows cops that say that, yes, Les was murdered by people that were in law enforcement. Um, so, so I start collecting evidence and they said uh, uh, it was a group in the co- called Comet, the County of Mendocino Marijuana Eradication Team. Now, Les was murdered November 18th of 2005. And November 18th of 2005, Ukiah Daily Journal has a picture of the chief of Comet taking marijuana from the crime scene. Why? The guy was murdered. You don't need to take pot off the property. Maybe what, you didn't get enough last night? You fucking murdered him. And they didn't have to. They murdered him because he was very loud and boisterous. He was he was in their face and he was suing the police. They raided him a couple months prior, stole a bunch of clones and a bunch of gold, like 30 German Cougarans, which now the Cougarans would be worth you know, like we sold them as two thousand dollars an ounce, 30 of them, you know, like it was it was valuable stuff. They took, I think, like 600 clones. So Les filed a lawsuit against uh, Mendocino County for the Cougarans, but also the clones and sued them at the value of a pound a clone. So I think it was like a $4 million lawsuit and he had, he had standing and he had standing on November. Was that lawsuit going on still relevant and happening while, when he got murdered? Yeah, just was filed. Just okay. fought a couple of weeks prior to his murder. Yeah. Yeah. And and so so the I mean, I'm not a cop, but that seems like those things are connected. Yeah, well, Sean, the 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 the, the young man that uh, had to reach out to and talk to and that witnessed it and had to clean up his his mentor's blood and put him back in his bed and, you know, I mean, just, just terrible. And this kid is never, he is never going to forget it. He relives it every day. He has the worst PTSD. I think I've ever talked to anybody from a murder scene. And, um, um, he said that Jen set him up. He said that there was a, uh, uh, that when they came in, there was a guy who had two guns. He was carrying two guns. And Zeke, by the way, is an ex-cop and an investigator that investigates murders now. That's what he does, does cold case murders. So how much better of a person for me to run into right now? And he said, Pat, first of all, that when they came in, they yelled raid three times. This is a raid. This is a raid. This is a raid. He said, your average criminal won't do that. He said, that's muscle memory. It's from somebody that does raids. He said, because you're trained to say it three times as a cop. He said, so being specific that it's three times, this is a raid, this is a raid, this is a raid. And then clearing that there's a problem. Number two, he said, one of the people had a billy club. That's it. Didn't have a gun. He said, ain't nobody coming through a door if they don't know what's on the other side. Unless they know what's on the other side, doesn't have a gun. Catch me. So 
what happened that night is the one guy had two guns and uh, it was all going down. Les was in his room. They beat the, the kid Sean over his head a couple of times. He gets thrown to the side. And uh, Jennifer, the ex, the girlfriend, is screaming, you know, and, ah! screaming. And the one person says, she, you know, keep, keep her quiet. Shut up. And the guy takes the guy with two guns, takes his one gun, puts it at her head and fires. And she drops. Oh. So Sean is thinking she's dead. You know, holy shit. She's dead. I'm next. She's dead. A couple seconds later, five shots go off in Les's room. Bop, 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 bop. They run out the door. Couple, maybe a thirty seconds later, she's yelling, "Get towels! Get some water! Get some towels!" And in hindsight, he's thinking, "How is that woman? How was she saying that she should be dead? She was just shot in the head, right?" Remember, he had two guns. So the next morning, they found a bullet hole in the floor where he was standing. So the gun he had pointed towards the floor. He shot in the floor while he pretended to shoot her in the head. So <clears throat> her killing herself, her killing herself was because she was experiencing guilt the heavy guilt because she set the brother up right there and um so uh so yeah so i've opened that investigation i'm gonna have the article is gonna come out next week sometime and it's gonna be huge it's gonna really be ground shaking for mendocino county who's already in a, in a tight spot right now getting rico cases on officers um what yeah, there's several officers up on RICO cases right now. This is all men to see. It's like I'm so that's fascinating because my kids are somewhat familiar with counties of going up there and meeting people and hearing their stories. It's we, you know, Mendocino and Humboldt are the same damn thing. Same thing. Ain't ain't nothing different about uh, about the anything above the 101 until you're out of Trinity County. That's it. Above, I'm sorry, above Willits. Willits and above. Kukaya so is kind of normal. You know, it feels no, more normal than anything Willits and above. Laytonville, that shit ain't normal. You know, it's just not, you know. You get the fucking Covalo and Hopland. Like, they're, they're, they ain't, there ain't no people there. You know? When, so, when does this article drop? Next week it'll drop. Next week. Redheadedblackbelt.com. Kim Kemp. K-I-M. K-Y-M-K-E-M-P. K-Y-M. Can we try and get her and you on an episode to talk? Absolutely. Yeah, she's awesome. Or you you can get Zeke, man. Look up Zeke Flatten. This guy's all over the news, NBC News, all that right now. I mean, so and his thing was I need to get this out there and have it out there. Uh, and that's why I wanted to speak about it tonight with you guys, because because it needs to be out there that people need to know a couple things about life. Um I mean, I almost died last year. So you, you might you might kick the bucket before the things you really want to get done, you get done. So the, the investigation of his death is something that has stuck with me and it's going to stick with me because I wouldn't have I wouldn't have my wife wouldn't be with me. I wouldn't have my son. I wouldn't have had a dispensary business if it were not for that man, Les Crane. I was leaving California. I was out. I was gone. I was I called him. I said, listen, it was so nice to meet you. I want to tell you that. He's like, what, what's going on? I said, I'm, and I'm, I'm broke out here. I got no place to stay and I'm going to go back home. You know, he said, well, come here. You come here. I'll take care of you. Gave me money. Got me up in a hotel. We opened a business together. He got me a house. So I owe him, you know, and I have the skills to make it happen. So, so and that's the difference with a lot of people like, some people, they, they, they'd have to hire a private detective and all that. Well, I am one, you know, so so that's that's where I have the advantage. I don't have to spend my money to, to make this happen. I can make it happen. And now yeah. I have I have a team. I've got a team of people willing to help. And Les Crane's murder is the white whale of Mendocino County murders. It is. It is the one that that people have have wondered about and talked about for a long time. so is it because he was already going after them and everybody's like oh because there's like what's interesting is how many people go missing up there 
and how they just kind of accept certain parts, like a certain part of that. I always found I've always found that part of that whole region how the police and the law enforcement kind of accept a certain lawlessness there. I've always been curious, like what? Well, it's not that they accept are. lawlessness. No, no, no. Check this out. So here's and listen. I've done done a bunch of research in the last couple of days, and what I figured out is that they they use these career criminals to to harass and fucking murder and rob people. I mean, that's what they do. They they literally find people that are busted who are doing stupid fucking shit, and they bring them into a crew, and they create these little crews of hitmen. Okay, and they they have handlers, and these handlers are cops. Okay. Um, the guy just look up Trevor Jackson out of Mendocino County. The guy's a fucking murderer. The guy's a fucking straight murderer. And um, the only reason he's in jail right now is because he got into a fight with one of the uh, one of the handler, one of the cops' sons. So this guy, <laughs> he could do whatever the fuck he wanted. And all of a sudden, after he gets into a fight with a cop's son, they put him up for twenty five years. Well, he is looking to talk, is what I hear. He's looking to spill the beans. So there's a lot happening right now. There's a lot. Listen, Mendocino County has been run by gangsters. Gangsters, straight up Mendocino County Sheriff have been gangsters. Look up uh, a cop, uh, confessions of an ex-cop on YouTube. A guy named Trent James, who's an ex-Mendocino County Sheriff, is spilling the beans, baby. He's telling on everybody. And What's his trying, name? His name's Trent James. I can get him on here for you if you want. But um, yeah, so so there's an opening and that's why I'm doing this now. I'm, I'm the, before you couldn't. There's no I had no hope. I'm 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 fishing in the pond of blood. You know, they're not going to give me anything. So once they're under fire, though, then they have the, the they're in their in their brains. They can't take more than a couple scandals. Right. So. If they can solve one scandal by just saying, oh, we know who the fuck did that. It was X, Y, and Z. And that makes a big, happy story. Trust me, that's what they're going to look to do. That's what I'm looking for. You know, this is a letter I'm about to send to the, uh, to the guy, to Trevor in San Quentin. You can't see it, right? You can't really see it because it's white. There you go. I'm going to send this letter to uh, San Quentin prison and see if I can get the guy to talk myself. What? Yeah, man. You deal. You deal with some, what some real shit yeah. here. No, no, it is for real, for real shit. And this is what I've always known you to be, and this is why I look up to you in so many. Oh, I appreciate ways. that, man. It is, and it it vaguely answers a lot of like missing pieces that I've always had logically about just how stuff works up there in a way that you know where if you really understand how the world works like you're saying like there's like you listen to everybody tell stories and you watch how things work and you're like sure but there is some large missing pieces here that no one talks about uh, that's the key there you go there's the key and i mean talk. I no, mean, I get it. I mean, I'm originally from East Tennessee, so I understand. Like, I get that's it. There's certain people you're just like, especially if you're out in the country and shit like that. There's certain things that you're just like, hey. So, so you know, so 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 the only thing you compare Northern California to is 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 like the hills of West Virginia or the country. Yeah, because because it's so isolated, you know, and. And the people up there uh, are very particular about foreigners coming in. Yep. Okay, Ben. Almost done. Yeah. My my wife's getting mad because I'm I'm loud. She's trying to go sleep. Hey, that's universal. That is not. I I get it. I'm mad at my um, own voices in my head sometimes. I'm like, yeah. Well, don't don't don't, you? I'm gonna I'm gonna. Uh, I got to get off. I don't want to piss her off too bad, but um, <laughs> but yeah. Any questions you guys got about anything I said? You know, I could. I'm. I'll answer that. How about we do some of our own? Because I've got to. I want to look into some of the stuff. Because that you just gave us a ton to process. Said like, they you get it. It's 
like you said, they're not kind of outsiders. And because I was a hillbilly and Mike's been in the industry, they were nice to us because they know that we're. I also am comfortable in the middle of nowhere and also know. Yeah, but I'm not talking about somebody just coming up there. I'm talking about somebody coming up there and making a name. I know what you're saying. That's where I was getting to. Yeah. And I know not to like, listen, I'm not trying to move in there. I'm in there trying to tell their stories and I'm not going to tell the stuff that they don't want us to tell because of how that, that whole world works. Yeah, and, that, and it's like this year, the, in the last couple of years, people have been like, well, it's like ball, like people are like boss hogs, like running for mayor and stuff in these towns. And I just want to be like, hey, no, they boss hog was already ex- existed in in small towns across the everywhere. country before Every day. Dukes of Hazard was even an idea. I was yeah. like, that guy, <laughs> I could name names of boss hogs where I grew up. Like, and they're still, I'm, you know what I mean? But like, yeah, it's not where I'm from is not as violent because the the well, it's the black market not, trade. Yeah, that's exactly because the crop is not worth as much. It's more territory well, bullshit. Where I'm well, from. it's interesting you say that. Right. So you grow corn and you grow wheat and you grow all kinds of different stuff. Right. In Tennessee or what grow, uh, you know, tomatoes here in New Jersey, cauliflower, broccoli. Right. And I was saying that, um, that, you know, I've never seen anybody farmers who, who are farmers of cauliflower get murdered over cauliflower. And cauliflower is way harder to grow than pot. So much <laughs> so, harder. It's so much. insane how hard it is to grow. So, so if you understand what I'm saying, it's, it's, it's a very easy plant to grow. In Oklahoma, go take a trip to Oklahoma City. An eighth of pot is eight bucks at the dispensary. You know, there's no black market in Oklahoma right now. Because they've they've eliminated it because they've, they've taken black market prices and beaten them by by two by two times, you know thirty dollar eighth is eight. Uh, who's going to go on the street? I'm going to go to the store, you know. And it's just getting lower, and that's how how it's how it should work. And that's what I, my, I've always had that mission is to bring the price down a pot to the to the to the level it should be, which is completely affordable, maybe twenty five dollars an ounce, and uh, and then people can 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 not get murdered over it. I mean that's and- high quality high quality yeah no it should only be high quality come on now i mean listen and we uh, still haven't even touched on any of the cannabis stuff in new jersey so we're gonna have you on again yeah man but you guys go look up anything i said everything i said you you can you can you can look it up and try oh i have no i'm not looking it up to like because i don't believe you i'm looking no you can have fun with it man yes i need you guys can have fun with it and we're going up there in november to do some comedy anyway so I might come up there with in November. You're going up there. I might come up there. I, might tweet, do, yeah. I'm, I was thinking about uh, going up there because the anniversary would be November 18th of his death, you know? So sure. please thinking about coming up, going up there and doing some type of like a press conference, you know? But, sure. And then but listen, do it was, before our show. So at the end, we can promote our shows. There you go. <laughs> well, I appreciate you guys having me on, though. We appreciate you. No, Duff. thank you for coming and telling the stories. Mm-hmm.